from Hollywood is rated LGBT Radio, starring your host, Rob Watson! Hello, hello, and welcome. You are listening to Rated LGBT Radio, and I am your host, Rob Watson. Um, exciting show today. Thank you for joining us. Um, as we promised, we bring you the best, and today should be one of those. Um, I'm really enthused to talk about or talk to our guest today. His name is Doug Probst. He is um, has notoriety, actually, under another name, um, Sean Mayotte. Um, he was a very well-known uh, porn star of the 80s, um, sought after by many. He had a um, thriving escort service, of which uh, many of Hollywood's top elite took advantage of. He um, has written a book, and um, yes, he names names in the book. So um, he he is... is very forthcoming on what his experience was like and um, the people he interacted with. And we're going to get into all of that with him. His story is not one of um, uh, pure titillation and glory. And um, uh, he comes from actually a a shockingly abusive background. Um, We'll talk to him about that. Um, and ultimately, um, the the biggest love of his life that uh, pulled him through at the end, um, and uh, and that that is definitely worth noting. And we will talk to him with, about that as well. Uh, before we get into that, as uh, Doug is standing on deck, uh, I do want to welcome to the show my illustrious journalistic star and co-host. Brody Levesque. Brody, welcome. Okay, Rob. Good afternoon, good morning, good day for our listeners around the globe. We appreciate you very much. Please don't uh, forget to go to your favorite podcast subscription and download uh, the app and then go ahead and hit us. Subscribe. We'd really appreciate it. Um, Today is kind of an interesting day. I'm the editor of the Los Angeles Blade. And the county of Los Angeles is now starting to enter into a reopening phase, which includes indoor dining and restaurants. Uh, Dodger Stadium will once again have fans in it. So we're looking at a different dynamic. California Governor Newsom had set the, uh, basically the standard for that and what we call the red tier, uh, according to Dr. Barbara Ferreira uh, from the Department of Health. The following with the following safeguards are going to open in L.A. County. On-site learning for grades 7 through 12. An agreement was made with the largest school district, the Los Angeles Unified School District, and they're going to be vaccinating their staff. Indoor dining, movie theaters, gyms, museums, and zoos. So this is a major milestone uh, for the county of Los Angeles. Last night, President Biden delivered his first primetime address to the nation as president since he took office in January. And the topic matter was, of course, the coronavirus. Uh, the president uh, speaking to the nation from the East Room of the White House 
acknowledged that there had been a tremendous amount of collective grief, suffering, and sacrifice of not only just families, first responders, but individuals as well. And, of course, it's been an unfortunate one year with COVID. The American nation has lost 527,726 Americans, as President Biden pointed out. That's more deaths than World War One, World War II, the Vietnam War, and 9-11 combined. Uh, the president also announced that he will be ordering all states, tribes, and territories to make sure that all adults, these are people ages 18 and up, regardless of their circumstance, will be eligible to be vaccinated no later than May 1st. The federal government just purchased this week another 100 uh, million doses of the Johnson & Johnson, which is a one-shot vaccine. Um, the president uh, wanted to make it perfectly clear that in addition to that, uh, and, and I'll quote the president, let me be clear, that doesn't mean everyone's going to have the shot immediately, but it means you'll be able to get in line beginning May 1st. Every adult will be eligible. The president's also urging Americans, as is Dr. Anthony Fauci, director of the U.S. National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases and Biden's chief medical officer to continue the safety protocols, particularly masking up, socially distancing, and keeping uh, your hands, of course, washed. And then the last bit on that, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki announced in the briefing yesterday and again had some discussion about it today. The first stimulus checks will be going out over the weekend, uh, according to the White House uh, the majority of the recipients will get a direct payment of up to $1,400. Married couples who make under 150000 a year will receive 2800 Higher income earners will see payments phase out and then cut off above certain incomes. Parents who meet certain income eligibility requirements will also get an additional $1,400 per dependent. Some families who meet income requirements with two parents and two kids could see payments of 5600 in their bank account by Sunday. The first to receive the economic impact stimulus payments, of course, will be people who have direct deposit information on file with the IRS and those who have typically done their taxes. Uh, and again, this is good news as the nation begins to recover. However, health authorities are also urging Americans, and I'll repeat the words of Dr. Galley, California's Health and Human Services Secretary, that we have to maintain social distancing and washing and mask, 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 so that we can get through this. Starting on March 15th here in California, uh, a whole host of eligible workers and people with disabilities will be eligible to be vaccinating. Uh, and, and, of course, that will be uh, of tremendous assistance in trying to knock these numbers down. Um, and then uh, the one last bit, which came up in the briefing yesterday, um, California Governor Gavin Newsom is facing a potential recall effort. Today, the leadership of the LGBTQ Legislative Caucus in the State House in Sacramento, as well as Equality California, which is the state's largest advocacy group and actually one of the largest state-type advocacy groups in the U.S. for LGBTQ plus people, uh, in a press conference announced that they're fully backing uh, the governor pointing out that those that are putting together the recall effort are, in the words of several participants in the press briefing, Trumpists, and are only not going to be, you know, in any way, shape, or form helpful at all 
to the LGBTQI community. Gavin Newsom, of course, has been a longtime ally of the community, starting when he was mayor of the city of San Francisco in 2004, and he was actually the first in the nation to start marrying gay couples. It was his actions in San Francisco as mayor that touched off what later became the Prop 8 battle. And that's pretty much a quick look at what's going on today. Great. Thanks, Brody. And, yeah, I and I have to say, I was one of the people that he married when he did that. So um, always a warm place in my heart for for that effort and what, what he did at that time. Um, and, um, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty – you know, the the whole thing in California with the response to the COVID-19, you know, has been rough, uh, absolutely, for, for everybody. But um, I really get irritated with kind of the prima donna attitude that there was some perfect way and that, that everything had to have gone perfectly. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty much disgusted with the whole recall effort just my two cents. Um, I also <laughs> did want to point out, though, and this is absolutely self-promotion, and I totally admit it, that um, in uh, this week's L.A. Blade is an article about the artist Paul Richmond that I'm pretty enthused about because Brody gave me the opportunity to write it, um, and Paul is a big uh, friend of the show. His artwork is spectacular, and... Um, I think the article presented him pretty darn well. So um, please do check that out online and in print if you're in the L.A. area. Um, there you go. So I even 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 uh, promoted you, Brody. Uh, <laughs> well, the Los through, Angeles through that as well. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. So um, <laughs> no, you are the wind beneath my wings, and I totally appreciate it. Um, so. Speaking of which, though, um, our guest is uh, sitting on deck, and um, his book is astounding. Um, uh, it is both shocking, um, heart-wrenching, um, um, just a lot of superlatives, um, and uh, I, I absolutely could not put it down. Um, and with that, I, I want to welcome... Um, <coughs> Doug to the show. Doug, good afternoon. How are you doing? Good afternoon to both of you. Thank you. Thank you for introducing me. I really appreciate hearing all of those superlatives about my book. That's my first book. Um, and uh, hearing that introduction from you, Rob, was, was very, very, very wonderful. Wonderful to hear. Um, also, Brody, what you, what you let us all know about um, was very, very well done, very touching um, I agree with both of you that, uh, you know, we've gotten – the way this has been handled, you know, it, you know, we already had a problem with figuring out how to handle it, and then we had another side that just made it harder, made it worse. So that's just on that end. But, uh, you know, I, I really thank you for the, for the compliments you gave me on the book, uh, Rob, and, uh, you know, I, it gives me – this program gives me another shot to talk about my favorite subject, me. So I'm, I'm, I'm here, you know, that, that's, I'm all, well, I'm well, all ready here. to go. <laughs> yeah, we are too. We're here to talk about you as well. So um, the, the, one of the, the subtitles calls your book, a survivor's story. And um, oh my God, are you ever, 
I, you know, it's like <laughs> I, yeah. I'm actually astounded that you were able to live through what you lived through. Your life started out, and and you write about it, and obviously it's your life. So you mm-hmm. you you're writing about what what you experienced as if that was sort of everybody's experience, or or gee, why wouldn't they expect this? Not to trash them, but. Um, your parents were an absolute horror show, um, <laughs> front to yeah. back. And, and you know, I don't say that about very many parents, and I've dealt with a lot of dysfunctional parents. But yours won right. prizes that uh, others um, uh, can't, can't even uh, think about. Um, and, but I want to kind of jump um, right away to the end of your book. And I hate to do that, mm-hmm. like I'm revealing no, a big problem. secret, but it's, it was one of the things that I – there were a lot of intersections with me and, and your book because I lived in, in – I, actually, I lived in Long Beach, which a lot of your book takes place in. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, we're neighbors. Trump, yeah, the same, same roads, um, you know, a lot of the same places you talked about in there. Um, you know, I mm-hmm. definitely was around in your, your heyday there. Um, right. You know, all of that lived through the AIDS crisis related incredibly to the pain and suffering that you you talk around that. But end of the story is I, um, I ended up um, adopting two babies from foster care, two sons. They're both 18 years old right now. And the piece that really took my breath away was your – having your son Joshua and your description of the love that you found with him. Um, So I I guess my first question is what did you learn from the horror show of parenting that you came from to ultimately, ultimately becoming a parent yourself? Great question. I, uh, I did, first of all, I just want to say that I did research on you and I saw your babies and and your, your kids and I was very impressed. I mean, it's it's always wonderful to know somebody else who made the same sacrifice. You know, it's a, it's a big sacrifice to take away from our own lives. Once you have kids, you realize immediately it's all about them. It's not about us anymore. We have to, you know, change everything for their for their benefit. They're dependent on us for everything. Um, and that leads into my answer to your question would be that once he was with me all the time. I mean, it was twenty four seven. I was doing all the diapers, fixing all his bottles. Um, you know, and put, singing him to sleep and, and waking up in the middle of the night with a bottle thrown at my head from his crib and all that stuff. <laughs> I, what I learned was that it wasn't me that was bad. It was like, I, I would watch him, like I say in the book, you know, I, I watched him spill grape juice on my white pants. And the first thought I had was I had to pick it up and, and comfort him and, and all that. Whereas my father would have smacked me across the room and, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't in, in any way found, you know, unconditional love as, as we call it, you know, for me. And it made me realize that there's no such thing as a terrible twos. If you call your, if you call your kid a ter- terrible for being two years old, then you've got to be a terrible parent. There's got to be something, mm-hmm. something wrong with how you're looking at your child. He's just, you know, everything that I saw because it had him 24 seven. I mean, you know, his mother was involved, but, but it wasn't as much as till later. At that time she was off on her own doing a lot of things, but uh, 
she did get involved later, so I got to give her credit. But at that time, you know, I had to take off from my career in the music business and and take care of him 24/7, and it just it just let me know that it really wasn't a a job. It was it was just it was as simple as love. You know, it's it, there's a saying. It's 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 easy if you want to. It's hard if you have to. It was easy for me because I wanted to, and I, and every every minute mattered. And and I realized also that he everything I, that came out of my mouth, every, everything that I did, it was gospel to him. So I was I was responsible, especially during those first five years, for creating a, a, a trustworthy, honorable, uh, loving human being. Or I could be responsible for creating a monster, and uh, I took it very seriously. And uh, you know, I, I do have a, a wonderful 31-year-old son now who is an honorable, intelligent, uh, trustworthy, kind, and compassionate. Um, I hate to use the word, but liberal, uh, very liberal, very open-minded uh, young man. And uh, I couldn't be prouder. Now, that's not to say that later on. I didn't have my problems, you know, I, you know, I, I did have certain, you know, issues of my own because you can't come through something that I came through and not have, you know, I'm still in right. therapy. I, you know, I, it's, it's a lifelong journey to get through what I went through. Um, and because as you know, you read the book, obviously, and I really thank you for that. Yeah. I thank you for reading the book. That means a lot to me. Um, but it didn't just stop with my parents. And once I went into the system, you know, it, it more predators came along, and oh yeah, you know yeah. then yeah, and, and then they just dumped me on the streets. So I'm I'm dumped on the streets with 17 years of, of just horrific. You know, just I didn't trust anybody, and you know so it's a lifelong, you know, journey. I still have to you know count to ten before I say, say I have to you know. I have to watch my, you know, whatever you want to call it, a coping mechanism, my narcissism, my, my, my grandiosity, my, my anger, my low self-esteem, you know, it all combines into, into, you know, um, just making sure that, you know, I come down from my rightness perch and then I, I'm just, you know, stay humble and stay, uh, basically get out of my own head. The, the more I'm out of my own head, um, I always say in, in Alcoholic Anonymous meetings, you know, I, I don't hang out with the last person I got loaded with. That's me. You know, I, I, I just yeah. I try to you know, do other things. Anyway. No, <laughs> Long-winded it, it, answer. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was, well, it was actually, it was a really, really great answer, and, and um, I, I totally get it. And um, let, let's go back through some of your story, because um, you, your, your parents were um, – beyond abusive um um you talk about your your father um um raped your sister beat you um your mother was also very sexualizing towards you um you ended yep. up at 13 in um in a home with um catholic priests and completely or catholic personas um, I don't know if they were actually priests. Persona, they, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, they were Catholic yeah, in person, yeah. but not not behind the altar. Yeah, right. But they 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 lived up to everything that that um, the bad reputation of of um, the the Catholic clergy has 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 had come to answer for. 
Um, you right. were right. Uh, obviously it, you were very beautiful looking, um, even at a young age. Um, was that the biggest curse? I mean, that that you were actually so sexually attractive, young that you these people came after you rather than nurturing the little boy inside? That's a great question. I, I, uh, and and on one hand, yes, absolutely. Because I was very pretty at a time when that look was enthroned, you know, it was the blue lagoon, the long haired, the leaf Garrett, the whole, I personified that look and I held, you know, I, I, and that's what I looked like as a little boy and yeah, everybody did sexualize me, and I just expected it. That's what I mean by creating an egomaniac with no self-esteem. It's like mm-hmm. you, on the one hand, you think you're God because everybody's coming at you. At the other, on the other hand, you think that's all you're worth. I thought that's all I was worth, even though I had a musical talent, I could do all this other stuff. Um, that sexualizing of me because I was, yeah, like you say, pretty. Um, although I wanted to be a boy and I wanted to be and didn't want to be called pretty all the time, I, I was. And and once I got into the system, you know, there, at that time in 1977, you know, there was no internet, there was no nobody checked on anybody. Um, they could get away with anything that they wanted to do, and it wouldn't it wouldn't have mattered. And my parents were never around; they never even visited. They never came. I mean, I saw gangbangers with. You know, all kinds of people coming and visiting people that, you know, those places were not, like you say, boys' homes. You have an image of a boys' home, but they weren't boys' homes. They were people that got, you know, I saw kids get slashed across their faces. I, I was beat up a lot until I finally realized that, you know, I, I, you can't beat them, join them. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it, all those years, I, I mean, I, I, I was sexualized. It wasn't just male or mm-hmm. it was also female female counselors too. So, yeah, you know, I, one of the things that, Oh, go ahead. No, I, I just saying that that's why, you know, once they dumped me on the streets, even though I did have a strong musical talent and that's what got me out of it. Part partially, I think, you know, as a counselor, we study, you know, uh, we study that. And, and one thing that keeps people that uh, two out of 30, Will get, will get themselves to a higher place because they either have a talent, because I had a talent that nobody could take away from me. I could say to myself, I can do this. I could play this at five years old. I can, you know, I could read music. I can do everything, you know, do this. And, and that means that I'm not that bad as they're making me out to be. So that helped me. And then I, then I obviously got on tours with, with major artists at a young age that helped a lot, but I still, you know, in, in, like I say, in in those days, there was no there was no internet, so so we could live separate lives. Nowadays, we either tell the truth or the internet tells it for us. So you know, I I, I have to own it, and uh, because my pictures went around worldwide, and you know, in 2006, my son and I googled the name Sean Mayot on a lark, basically, and oh my God, I was I was all the, <laughs> all around the world, world, you know, it was like websites devoted to me if you look at it from that angle it looks like this and i was was like wow i never knew that um and uh nowadays you know today i've met a lot go ahead what was it like having your son see you in the past like that was that 
I mean, were, were, were you disconnected from that? Is it like he was just looking at somebody else who was naked, or or was there another? No, he wasn't from that? really looking. He, he did see it, and, and but he was old enough. In, I had already searched his computer for all his porn. You know, he's 15 years old. He's got porn in his computer, and you know, it was all pretty much straight porn. So it wasn't really. And, and plus, that's normal. That's what they do. You know, a 15 year old's going to do that. So I wasn't really worried about him. He just happened to be sitting with me. I didn't call him over to look for it with me. He happened to sit with me, and, right. and and he was so well adjusted that you know it didn't matter to him. It was like what we first found was it was a site called uh, it wasn't called Dead Porn Stars. It was Charon's Ferry by my friend John Michael Cox, where they listed all of the gay adult film stars who had died and how, the manner that they mm-hmm. died. And I was looking at a number, I mean, I'd say 40 to 50% of these guys were my close friends, as you read in the book. And right. so I'm looking at this, and I'm going, oh, my God, this guy's chronicled everybody, and, and he lists how they died. And, of course, majority died of AIDS. And then at the bottom, my son goes, but you're still alive, Dad. Look at that. There's like 15 names down here, those known still to be alive. And Sean Mayotte is right there. And uh, so that was a happy moment. I was still alive. Um, but uh, yeah, so I mean, he was, and, re- he was really and, and well you, adjusted. You had the internet to tell you that, <laughs> right? Right, exactly. <laughs> right, right. We get to see. Yeah, we. Think, I get to find out on the internet, you know. And uh, now, I, so to answer your question, he he was really he's very well adjusted to where it didn't really matter to him. He was just like, wow, Dad, you know, you know, what are you going to do about this? And I, I had already started to write a story about my life because it is very dramatic and it is a bit, um, I mean, everybody's got a story. Let me put it this way. Everybody has a story. I just chose to write mine. And Mm -hmm. I do think that I saw life from many different perspectives. I mean, you know, I, I, I've been homeless and yet I've been rich. I've been, you know, I've uh, searched for, for rocks of crack in downtown dumpsters and I've waved the poor people from a private helicopter. It's like, you know, I, I, uh, so I, I figured I would write about it. I've also, I also saw kids who were prostituting on the street in 1982 when I was released dying left and right in the bushes of a disease that didn't have a name yet. So, right. um, and I, I never, I believe that everybody, you know, everybody counts or nobody counts. It, it's like, we're all the same. And they deserve better. Uh, I've written a lot of tributes to a lot of them. Um, they're on the AIDS Memorial. Um, Stuart Armstrong is a good friend of mine. And uh, they just deserve better than what they got. I mean, I had to bury some guys that their families kicked them out for being gay. And then they died of that right. so-called faggot disease. And, you know, you know when you went through the same years. And uh, it's, No, yeah, it I did. Hor- and I literally, yeah, I literally buried... And I'm not talking about figuratively. I mean, literally buried a friend of mine, one of one of my first first close friends um, that died. We we had he we had him cremated, and we we buried him in the garden he loved, and we physically had wow. to bury him ourselves. Right. And um, right. yeah, it was I, I, one of the things uh, too. Uh, just to mention was that's impressed with the book was you have focused on this in your mind so clearly that you literally have counted every yeah. person that you lost. I, 
I, in full disclosure, I lost count and stopped counting. But um, I was just, I was actually kind of really impressed by this one was number, and, and you put the number out there um, um, a, a couple of times in it. Um, Doug, I want to ask you, because it, it's, um, I mean, there are so many facets to you and your story. I mean, there's one that is, um, you know, your your physical beauty um, that that you possess possess, um, and uh, you are, from my understanding, you are actually putting out some picture books for people who want to see you presented, you know, in your, your in your fullness of your beauty, beauty and sexuality, um, mm-hmm. and and also in the book that that you've written your story. Um, one of the things that stood out to me was, and this is kind of true of a lot of people I've met who, you know, have, have hit that level in society where they have nothing left to lose and they become these kind of amazing truth tellers. And so many <laughs> of the people that you interacted with, um, it was like the hypocrisy of who they were and their points of view. I mean, you, especially some of the religious people who hired you as an escort and they're right. both using you sexually and then wanting to disavow you at the same time. Can you speak to that a little bit? You read the book, boy. <laughs> yes, you did. Right. Yeah, I, 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 those people, I, you know, those, those people uh, at the time, um, and I'm not saying that I have my heart softened toward them. To I guess it has to a point, but at the time, you know, they just they're just total hypocrites. It's like you know, I I would I like I like I said when I when I spoke for the for the 508 victims of the Catholic Church, we, we, you know, we we were I'm a part of SNAP, the Survivors Network, of those abused by priests, and we spoke to Roger Mah- Cardinal Roger Mahoney. To, to negotiate the settlement, I was the lead spokesperson, and and I told him, I said, I was 13 years old. I could, I hated my father. I said, you guys could have molded a good Catholic. You guys could have, and I, I would have been a great altar boy. I would have been a, you know, all that. Instead, what you did, you, you turned me against all religion. You turned me. I saw all I did was see hypocrisy, and I hated you guys, and I hated you know religion and everything else, and all and anything about it. It was just a a joke, and you know, of course. He, he looked at me and said, "Well, what am I supposed to do about it?" I said, "Sell that cathedral you're building right there, you know." But, but uh, I guess I, in a long-winded way, what I'm getting at to answer the question is, is that at that time, you know, I I started to hate religion, anything about it, and I didn't really see it from those guys' point, those guys' point of view, like the pastor in Santa Ana and whatever. That that they still, it's their choice. You know, they chose to be hypocrites. There's no doubt about that. But at the same time, you know, maybe I have a little more compassion for them that they had to, you know, they were gay. But the world, see, we always look at them like they're hypocrites. But at the same time, it always goes back to the world. The the, the world hates gay people. It's like, you know, we're not – anybody gay or bisexual or transgender, we're not to blame for the hate that's put on us. We're not here. I, I don't believe we have to defend a damn thing just because the rest of the world looks at 
you know, being gay as something wrong only because it looks odd. That's all it is. Because everybody knows it's normal. It's, you know, it's who we are. We all know. We all know that. But because of the world treating us like this, we have to constantly defend ourselves. And we have to hide in the closet or we have to do something else because we're afraid. And of course you're going to be afraid. You know, it's, it's, am I making sense? Sometimes I lose myself. Yeah, no, totally. <laughs> no, 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 absolutely. No, I, 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 I totally believe that. Um, so I'm going to ask a sensitive question here just because maybe, you know, and you'll understand what I'm talking about in a minute. Um, and, and partly because you already in our conversation kind of um, in, intimated this, but um, in your spiritual growth now and um, full mm-hmm. disclosure, I just celebrated, and I can't believe I'm saying this, 39 years clean and sober um, a, a few weeks ago. a lot longer than mine. <laughs> Congratulations. Congratulations well, to you. you. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but what, what do you, where do you see yourself now spiritually with recovery versus the religi- religiosity that you had to survive? and the hypocrisy of, of those institutions? What a great question. Um, becoming a drug counselor, I did see what I consider hypocrisy in there. I mean, a lot of people, and there's nothing wrong with it, you know, could get jobs as drug counselors because you have a, a lot of people that have criminal records and they go to get drug, drug counseling jobs. And, and, you know, that you shouldn't have to explain your criminal record in every job like they do, everything's a background check. You know, I always say, would Jesus do background checks? But, but to answer your question, I, I just, whatever is a higher power to me is, is a higher power. I ha- there is a higher power who sometimes I choose to call it God. Sometimes I just choose to call it the higher power. You know, I have to, I have to remember that, you know, I go to bed sober, but I wake up a, a crackhead. I wake, I wake up you know, an alcoholic. And, um, as long as I choose, it truly is one day at a time. And, you know, I don't, uh, I don't, if my name's not on the bottle, I don't put it in me, you know, mm-hmm. and that's basically it. And, uh, you know, because drugs may be stupid. <laughs> drugs may be, uh, you know, climb telephone poles naked. It didn't, uh, it didn't work very well. So, and yeah, no, I, I do, I do, I, I do give. Go ahead. I'm, I'm sorry. No, no, no. Go ahead. I, I do give credit to God, but God to me is a euphemism. I mean, I have, I was a hardcore militant atheist for a long, long time, and I'm not saying that I still, you know, I'm not saying that I believe in these, in, in religion, and all these different gods, and you know, some, some Jewish guy came down and whatever. I mean, I could go all in that. It's just about that there is a higher power. I'm not, you know, every time that I think that I created the universe, you know, I get knocked back. You know, and that's what I mean by my grandiosity and my egomania is that, you know, if I, if I, I'm the type of guy that if I, if I was on death row, I'd, I'd brag about being the most popular guy on death row. You know what I mean? And, and that's yeah. an addict. That's how we addicts think. And so, you know, instead of taking pride in my humility, I actually have to be humble. That's kind of why I wrote, you know, the 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 uh, introduction to the book the way I did at that time. I was getting sober at that time. I've got 12 years. So at that time, 
I, you know, and that's not to say I, I didn't, I did put Josh through some hell with some coke use, but you know, I, I tapered that off. And but the last time I touched any drug or alcohol um, that wasn't prescribed to me was 12 years ago. So I, I said, you know, all the time I was playing God, God was playing me, because I had to realize that I'm not, I'm not running the universe. And every time I try to or, or think that I can, you know, it's uh, it'll slap me, you know, you know, it'll yeah, it'll tell me, <laughs> <laughs> it'll teach me again. And the next time, as you know, you've heard it in the rooms. I mean, the next time may not be, maybe the last time. And right. I'm not willing to right. go out like that. You know, I'm just not willing to. No, do it. no, and and you've you've grown so much. I mean, just from from your story to where, I mean, that's one of the things that I found really heartwarming in your book was to see and experience, you know, where you came from and, and who you were survived to become. It's like, it is, that is actually really inspiring. I mean, it's, um, I I do want to go back because uh, obviously I read the book, you wrote the book, Brody read the book, but our listeners have not yet. Um, so Everybody 13, read the book. Everybody buy the book. You can go to yeah, the book. read the book. Yeah, <laughs> I got to get I my dare plug you in. To put it down once you start. Yeah. <laughs> um, so at thirteen was when you started experiencing, uh, and I'm going to call it abuse, but you know, in, in the book you wrote about it, just really is heavy sexual come ons. What was your mindset yes. when these yes. men started coming on to you? Was were you was did you experience damage that you could experience then, or I mean, in the book it was just this, you know, you and it actually was kind of refreshing. I have to admit that your attitude in the book was that almost of empowerment over understanding yeah. the use of this as a power. Um, you get it. You got it. Yeah, you got it right. Right, right. I knew immediately that I had power. I had I had power over people um, that you know having sex having being good looking being very very pretty very very uh, you know attractive at that age and then all of a sudden these guys are guys and it was women too girls too that I had power I had some power and and uh, I used it now I'm not saying that I sh- that that's the way it should have been but part of that came from Earlier than you know, with my parents and all that, I mean, I was I was looked at, you know, I was fond over a lot when I was when I was young, so it created that. But once I went in the system, oh my God, it was like, you know, every single probation, every every guard, every person, every counselor, every every, you know, I had I had women counselors climbing to bed with me when I was 15 years old in in, in Sunrise Youth Community. I had, uh, you know, they're they're in their 30s and. It was just, it, 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 you know, that was that time period. It was, it was, it was a whole, it was a different time period when, even if you look at the movies from that time period you know, and the songs, mm-hmm. you know, all the songs, she was only 16, she was only 17. It wasn't seen as something, you know, as monstrous as it's seen today. Now, I don't want to sound like a hypocrite either, but I do think we've gone hysterical the other way in that, you know, mm-hmm. somebody 17 or whatever, you know, and you and you arrest a 19-year-old or 22-year-old for having, you know, for having a relationship with a 17. I don't think that, I don't think that's right. But I don't want to go into that. <laughs> anyway, I just want yeah, to say no, that, I, that, I, know, I, 
Yeah, I hear you on it though. It's, you know, and that was another thing in your book that the, um, you know, a lot of times in in today's environment, um, and I'm not not putting down or or trying to minimize the experience women have had of being objectified and abused and um, um, right. all of that. But there was kind of this refreshing thing of the women you talk about in your book who were kind of predators towards you. Um, it, it gave another glimpse of, of women power, of, of um, you know, right or wrong, of, you know, where a lot of times a lot of the accounts are, just fully of men being, you know, the predators, and um, right. you know, I, I actually did appreciate, you know, your your account of that. Um, I do want to touch on because you do name names in your book. You are so forthcoming. I don't name all the um, names. Believe me, there's some some of those stories that I had to rewrite. I, that's why it took me so long because I didn't realize I was just being brutally honest. I had to, lawyers got involved and say, "You can't name these names. You got to change these, especially the women." I had to change, but go ahead. Sorry, I just want to interject. Yeah, no, I well, <laughs> I, I would have got they, they, these people. Some of these people have enough money to sue me out of existence, so I had to, I yeah. had to change a bunch of names. So, but Boy, there I are some. Yeah, the original. go ahead. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, but, uh, yeah. We'll yeah. sometime we'll get together alone. <laughs> yeah, you you tell yeah absolutely. I'm <laughs> I, I'm not above that. I want I want to know the, I want to know the tea as they say. Um, yeah, we have a good time. Carr, um, um, uh, 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 Robert Reed, um, Jack Rambo, mm-hmm. um, uh, David Geffen, um, among others yeah. that that you had experiences with, and some. I mean, you were very uh, really um, actually kind of warm around um, Robert Reed, who, you know, we, we knew, I mean, obviously everybody kind of knows that things were going on with him, but it, it, I actually did appreciate a firsthand talk about, you know, him and your experience with him, um, as well as um, Jack Rambo. It was actually kind of warm and wonderful the way you described your encounter. Oh, he was he um, was he was one of the most beautiful people I ever met in my life. We became friends. I became his personal counselor kind of it wasn't about sex as much as it's just he was so sweet and so kind and he was so broken because of as you know, I didn't mean to cut I hope I didn't cut you off. I just you know, he, no, he brings no. back a lot of a lot yeah. I, I mean he we became good friends and uh you know, I saw him till the end, even with his sister. He, you know, his sister brought him to meet me when, on one last time for dinner at French Marketplace on Santa Monica, and he died just a little bit after that. Um, he, he really was the sweetest guy. He did, you know, there's guys like that, you know, like James, the hairdresser, my hairdresser, that just didn't understand how cruel the world could be. They just, you know, he's one of them. You know, he just, you know, his kindness just shone through everything. And no, it, it was, I did love him. It, it, you, and I loved with him and like with with Robert Reed. You know, he paid you really to to not out him, and it it right. just gave a glimpse into to kind of that, that sort of tragic side of how he had to live his life. Right, right, right. And that's that's why I said nowadays, you know, I have a lot. I, although I would say this too. I had a lot of compassion for them at that time. 
I, I would never, you know, you're coming to pay me. I had gotten so used to being an escort, so used to the, you know, I would, had that advocate and then I, and then I went to numbers and I had all these, you know, wealthy, famous guys coming to me and they would share their secrets with me in bed. And we knew that this was a private thing. And so I had a tremendous amount of compassion for, for like Robert, um, because he had to keep it, you know, he felt he had to keep it secret or it would ruin his career. And I knew it would, you know, I, I, and so, you know, it, it, you know, even if he didn't pay me to not to out him, I wouldn't have done it. I, I don't believe right, in outing right. anybody. That's their business. That's their right. I don't have the right to do that. You know? Yeah. It's, no, it's, it, it, and that came, came through. It's funny. You mentioned numbers because numbers was, um, um, and our listeners probably won't get this at all, but I think you will. Numbers was, I went to numbers one time and it happened to be on my very last night of drinking. So that really? <laughs> numbers has always stood, stood out for me a place because it's like I entered it, had drinks there. Yeah, I was there with some guy and um, it, it was a real weird night. Obviously, it was my, <laughs> it, you can imagine how the last night of drinking might go. And, right, um, right, right. It's right. one of the standouts because I had never been in that place before, and and never was afterwards. But it was one of my touchstones of my my final drinking night. Um, but I want to ask you about the environment in West Hollywood at the time of the '80s because you mentioned French Marketplace. I used to eat there all the time, and it was you looked around, especially on a Sunday morning, and a uh-huh. lot of the guys that were in there Sunday morning having brunch were porn stars. It was like yes, that's true. That's some true. of your favorite guys sitting at the table, and everything, and it, you know, it's it porn did not have, you know, it was it was like you know part of gay Hollywood. What was what was right. that like to be essentially a, a a gay icon during that period? It was thrilling. I mean, it was kind of like you know people would ask for autographs and I and I'd sign them. And, um, I mean, it, it was, it was nice. It was nice, nice to be liked. It was after my, after my childhood and, and especially my teenage years, it was nice to be liked for anything. So it was, it was, uh, it was very sweet and I was very grateful. And anytime anybody came up to me, cause you're right. You're, you're absolutely right. The French marketplace was a place where everybody sat there and there's Jeff and there's, Tim and there's, you know, every, you know, all the porn stars sat around and uh, anytime anybody noticed me or whatever, I felt very uh, grateful and was very um, humbled to feel, to, to, to be noticed. And, uh, yeah, you know, and I, I kind of get that, you know, having seen that and seen the adoration and especially understanding what you had gone through. And, you know, it's, 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 um, you know, I can, I can see both ends. I mean, how that would, would connect of that, even though it's, it's, you know, that celebrity is is sort of pseudo love, but how you you had none prior to that. Um, um, You did mention in the book, um, your, you had a a connection with um, his, his stage name was Tim Kramer, his real name, was also Doug. Doug Cooper. Um, Doug, Doug yeah, Cooper. Doug. Yeah, and and kind of a sweet little love affair evening with him. Um, yeah, I I thought it was mm-hmm. really touching. Can you touch on that a little bit? Yeah, I mean he he that was a real uh, real genuine 
um, because I didn't think of myself as gay, completely gay. I just, you know, because I like women. I'm married to a woman right now. and, and um, But at the time, that just felt natural to, to sort of to have sex with him and to be kind of in love with him because he was he was not only good looking i mean you know i still am attracted to you know there's good looking guys and he he also was honorable i i i'm more i'm attracted to those virtues when you can trust somebody he also was incredibly intelligent i mean he saw solar as the future you know in in my tribute to him you know there's a water boy song where they say you know i saw the crescent but you saw the whole of the moon I dedicate, you know, I dedicate that to Tim, to Doug, to Doug. And that's how I know him, Doug. And, and you know, we not only shared first names, we also shared escort services. Um, we, and we, we just connected. And when it was natural, when we were alone together, it just happened. You know, we kissed and, and uh, went further. And uh, um, I want to tell more. I don't know how much I can tell, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're we're unregulated. Yeah. You can say whatever you're unregulated, <laughs> right? I can curse and say all kinds of shit. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, we you know we had sex. We 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 sixty nine and we had fun and and uh, you know I want I want people to read about it so that they know about Doug. They can also read about the tributes because I have my tributes are all over the place, but his was one of the first ones I wrote because I really did love him. Um, he he was he was a a very good person. And didn't see his 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 uh, you know he was one of the biggest gay film adult stars in that era of that time, and he didn't he didn't see it as uh, egomania. He used it to start HIV positive you know groups to help people mm-hmm. deal with that. And he also uh, he was he was always giving back to people, and uh, I learned a lot from him. He was older than me. I saw him as a star. I was doing mostly photo shoots. You know, I thought it must have been a thousand photos. I got, got so many. But, uh, you know, I stayed away from from doing more porn movies because I, I didn't I didn't want to die. And uh, right. so I saw him as a big star. And, you know, I always needed an older brother or, or, or you know, somebody to fill that role. And he felt that role and, and it felt right to, do, to have sex. And, uh, you know, it, it, we didn't keep on that kind of relationship, but we kept on a friendship. Um, but um, put it this way, I loved him. I loved him. It, 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 you know, if he hadn't died, who knows what would have happened? Who knows? Right. No, it came, it came through. It was really, it was really a sweet um, anecdote in, in the book. I do want to let Brody get in here. I do this to him. I railroad him. <laughs> Brody, did you have any questions? <laughs> I'm afraid I mean, of Brody. Uh, yeah, well, you know. Well, and, yeah. and that is, well, you should be. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, there's a lot yeah. of people that, uh, yeah, they hear my name and it's like, uh-oh. Um, uh-oh. I guess we'll I'm going to get told it. something I didn't even know, yeah. <laughs> no, I, uh, you know, for me, my my perspective is different because during the time period when you were active in the adult industry and during that time period in West Hollywood, during the time period that Rob was in there uh, living and mm-hmm. working in Los Angeles, that WeHo area, you know, right. I was a very much wound tight, closeted young reporter. 
So really? my lens and my perspective on that time period is completely different than, you know, yours would be. And right. for right. me, the AIDS crisis was through the lens of watching the Reagan administration not only not do anything about it, but joke about it. But and joke about it, yeah, yeah, all that shit. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it was it was a different way and a different perspective for me. And it wasn't until much, much later when I started meeting survivors of the pandemic and I started talking to people, especially the lesbians, who were just absolute angels in taking care of the legion of gay men that died as a result yes. of, of AIDS. Yes. And talk to some of the trans people and the others in the activist community in particular, that you really mm-hmm. get kind of a different picture of it. And the other part of it was that you were of a time and of a place, and the same with Rob, where you couldn't really be gay. So here we are some 40 years later, and these kids on Instagram and TikTok and to a lesser degree Facebook, Snap contemporary, you know, to, I don't know, the teenagers and so forth, they didn't grow up in that kind of a, of a world. They didn't no. grow up in that kind of repressive type of scenario. And for them, nope. it's very difficult to be able, you know, to kind of understand the larger contextual issues that go with this thing because they've always grown up, you know, the, the kids that are in high school now have grown up with social media platforms and they've grown up with literally grinder and the rest of it. And for them, it's not that big of a deal. You know, um, you still have, exactly. well, you still have, see the way he said, see the way he said it, Rob, larger contextual <laughs> issue. This guy's got a degree. He's got five degrees. <laughs> this guy, you know, Brody, that's why he makes, that's why he makes me afraid of him. But you're exactly right. They are standing on the shoulders of giants and they don't even know it. They don't well, even know we, it. We not all of them. In a different, in a lot of different yeah. ways. But I think that the most important thing is that people do need to know that these stories, you know, are out there. They need to be aware exactly. of these stories. I agree. And and I think that they need to be able to realize that you know there's a lot of history there that they really do need to know. I don't really have a question. I just that's my observation. I totally <laughs> agree with you. I, I totally, you know. Yeah, I mean, I I wrote this story because I would not let myself go any further without getting this out. I had to get this out. Yeah. I had to tell it. So I had to be brutally honest and not, you know, it, it is. It's one thing I'm proud of the book is I'm honest, and being by being honest and going through all those years, you know, hopefully, and I have already seen it with a couple a couple young guys who have bought the book and put reviews up. They have been. I, you know, I'm saying this humbly, blown away by by the history, by by not by knowing it, mm-hmm. and they have lectured other people on. You know, this is what we need to be grateful for. These people that went through this, you know, and um, you know, I was part of the buddy program with with Elizabeth Taylor, and, and at 19 when I didn't know who who she was, <laughs> you know, I was like, okay, I had vague awareness, but but you know, but you know, we we went through this together, all all of us in our ages, and. I never want to disparage any age group because my son is, is, is of that age group. But at the same time, you know, there are a lot of young people that need to know their history and not take the rights that we help fight for, for granted. You know, it's, 
it's hard sometimes when when you see, and I'll just say it straight out, a gay Trumpster. What is that like a Jewish Nazi? It's like, it's like yeah. what, you know, what, yeah, what are exactly. you? You know, it's like yeah. you know that. <laughs> It just strikes me that I knew that Ambassador, you know, Grinnell was going to get introduced into the conversation somehow. Okay. Anyway, all right, all right. <laughs> go ahead, we, we don't have time. We don't. Yeah, we don't have time for him. Um, we we are literally down <laughs> to the last three minutes. Um, right. I, I, and the, I want to get this out. Uh, how did they get your book and your future books? Well, you can go. You can, if you want a paperback, just go to Amazon.com. And type in the words Mayotte, M-A-Y-O-T-T, and then musings of a narcissist. Or just type musings, and I'll come, it'll come up. And it's 19.99 on Amazon paperback. Um, and we do get a pretty good. I mean, I, I don't like. I mean, I, I'll just say this: we get 11. We get a good enough from none royalties, so the paperback's fine. But if you want a PDF download, which goes straight to your computer, and you get all the pictures in color. Just go to my website, mayotnow.com, and you can download the PDF format, or you can down and or you can download the uh, ebook Kindle version for $19.99. So well, either way, yeah. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for coming on. Um, I, I I actually think you're you're a beautiful person. Your honesty is probably your your most incredible, refreshing quality of all. Um, and you you are brutally honest in the book, and nothing called back. And it is um, yeah, it's an experience to read it, and I I highly recommend it. Hope people do read it. Um, it's um, enlightening. It's touching. It's um, inspiring. It's shocking. It's it's everything. Um, so well, thank um, you so again, much. Yeah, it's it's uh, I, and I'm really glad you came on today to talk to us. Brody, I want to thank you, as always, for everything you do, journalist to the world, um, and definitely yes. a teller you know, and storyteller. Um, and to our listeners, we'll be back here again next week. We will have something very exciting, very thrilling, very wonderful, and I have no clue as to what it will be. <laughs> but I can guarantee you that all those superlatives will, will, will be attached to it. Um, and so, again, um, Doug, and, and I'm really looking forward to um, seeing the um, the picture books when they come out too, because they they look like they are going to be wonderful. To, yeah, they're good. To, uh, they're they're wonderful pictures. Well. <laughs> We're just trying to get a print of the new hardcover, and it's, it's costing a lot. But I want to say thank you I real bet. quick to both of you. Thank you, thank you, Robin. Thank you, Brody. So thank you so much for this opportunity. I really appreciate it. I really do from the bottom of my heart. And I, I hope to Not meet yet. you guys and, and you know. Go oh yeah, we wherever we, we've got tea to Hang talk on. about. <laughs> yes, we okay, do. So we do. For, I, I believe it. <laughs> for Rated LGBT Radio, uh, it's Rob Watson, and we look forward to talking to you again next week. You've been listening to Rated LGBT Radio. Say bye bye.